picture is this uh, sense of I'm, I'm dying to myself, which scripture calls us to do, and then I'm being raised to life. Now, it's not like a magical moment. And there's nothing magical about the water. We didn't bless it or pour oil in it or anything like that. But there is something spiritually significant when somebody obeys. And Jesus calls us to be baptized. He tells us to repent, believe, and follow him, and then be baptized. So there's something that happens in the person's life when they take a step of obedience. Like all of us, whenever we obey, Jesus says he reveals himself to us more. So, um, so baptism really is this external sign of this inward reality. It's, um, it's, it's a sign, but it's also there's something supernatural and spiritual going on. Because whenever we obey, something happens. God does something in our lives. So I'm going to invite them up one by one. And I think Esther, where's Esther? Esther, why don't you come up first? This is Esther Crane. Um, I don't know if you wanted to say anything or not. She says, no, that's fine. Um, so before we get in, uh, and Bill, when I'm done, I might hand you the mic. So uh, stand up on the steps so people can see you there. So this is Esther Crane. Uh, where's her parents right there? Parents, family, I think probably grandparents as well. So um, so Esther, the question that I always like to ask people when they get baptized is, why do you want to get baptized? So tell us why you want to get baptized. I want to devote my life to following Jesus. Very good. And really good, really short, really accurate answer. All right. So um, Esther and I will get in the water here. I'm not concerned about young people, but I'm concerned about me falling down. But I'll be okay. So, anyway. You know how to swim. Yeah. So, I'll step down here, too. So. so Esther Crane, based on your commitment and your statement that you want to follow Jesus and devote your life to him, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son. of the Holy Spirit. She wants to say some things first. Kristen Moy, um, and then I'm going to get out because uh, Jeff Marr, one of her spiritual mentors, uh, young life leader, Claire, is going to be baptizing her. So why don't you take the mic, Kristen, and uh, head over to the side of the front over there. I was telling somebody today that John the Baptist had it easy. They didn't have to set up anything. They just walked in the water. No microphones, no sound system, and the water was probably cold. So anyway, Kristen, why don't you just tell us what you were saying? Yeah, well, um, first I'm grateful we have warm water. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I wanted to share a little bit um, about why I want to be baptized. Um, Yeah, I was baptized as an infant um, Catholic, wasn't raised Catholic, uh, didn't go through confirmation, um, but we'd always celebrated Christmas and Easter And I remember praying before bed. Uh, I'd put the story of Jesus in, like, the same category as a fairy tale um, or a Disney movie or something. Um, It wasn't this uh, 
yeah, Jesus wasn't a real person to me. Um, and so it wasn't until my freshman year of high school uh, that I got connected to Young Life. And I started hearing stories from the Bible. Um, Jeff Mark baptizing me here today was one of my Young Life leaders, so I'm excited he's here. Um, and yeah, these stories, I remember when I first he- started hearing them, um, they kind of caught me off guard. And I was like, oh, this they're talking about Jesus like he's a real person. Um, and so... I, I think I kind of like pushed it off to the side for a while and uh, just kind of, yeah, I didn't know what to do with that. Um, so it wasn't until three years later at Young Life Camp, we heard the stories some more um, and we got to talk about them with our leaders. And on the last night, uh, they give us 20 minutes of silence. And it was in those 20 minutes of silence that I felt like God met me. Um, And it's hard to explain that experience if you've not had a moment like that. Um, But for me, uh, yeah, just I was reflecting on stories that we'd heard earlier that week and um, the story of the gospel, which I want to share with you guys because I don't know that everybody's heard this, so I just wanted to share what I heard. Um, It was that God created everything on this planet including us. He said it was good. And when he made Adam and Eve, he said it was very good. Um, He made us in his own image. Uh, You may or may not know Adam and Eve ate a forbidden fruit, which separated us um, from God eternally. It was a spiritual death. Um, And this created a permanent void between us and God. Um, But he loved us so much that he came to earth to be with us. Um, in the flesh, in the form of Jesus. I'm getting really nervous right now. Um, Jesus was compassionate and full of grace and truth. Um, He redeems us by his own death on a cross. He was resurrected from the dead and conquered sin and death, filling that void so that we could have eternal life through him. And as a 17-year-old, I think about what I just said, and I'm like, I don't know how much of that I understood Um, but I knew that I encountered God's spirit in a way that week that um, I couldn't deny who he was, and I I believed in that moment um, that Jesus was God. And so upon returning home, actually, I got to go to church for the first time with my neighbors who are here today, which is really special. Um, I knew they went to church, and we didn't at the time, and um, that time seems like it could have been a good time to get baptized, and I think I waited. There was a little hesitation of, like, what if I change my mind? Um, And so, yeah, I waited for a little bit. I think as I waited, I felt like I needed a reason to get baptized of like, oh, I read my Bible more and I'll pray more and I'll do this stuff and then I'll get baptized. I don't think anything magical happens in the water. I think Matt just said that a minute ago. Um, so I, I think I always wondered, like, why? Why should I do this? I was baptized when I was born. Um, and so, yeah, I just always hesitated. But every time I've seen a baptism, um, I've always reconsidered and wondered, oh, should I do that? Um, so, yeah, the longer I waited, the harder it was for me to find, like, the quote-unquote right time to get baptized. And so... Um, until now, I think most people just assumed I'd been baptized, uh, and I was okay with that. I, yeah, 
that was fine with me. Um, many of you who know me know that I'm often either back there at the tech table or downstairs with the kids and not up here. <laughs> and to some degree, I think I do them for that reason. Um, but a couple months ago, I got to witness a baptism uh, that wasn't anything glamorous. Uh, there were only a few of us there. Um, and it was in the bathtub of a hotel. <laughs> and um, there was a, it just felt like a really beautifully sacred moment that made me think, I, I want to do this. Um, and for a split second, actually, I did consider, I thought, oh, I should get baptized in the bathtub. And, but I didn't. And then um, somebody even afterwards said, does anybody else need to get baptized? And I still just totally ignored that invitation. Um, yeah, so I'm excited to do this today with all of you. Again, nothing magical happens. Um, like our, our, our problems, our issues with life don't disappear after getting baptized. And I think of like a lot of, you know, Sadie and Knox and they, went to the local hospital in the middle of the night, and they drove up to the children's hospital this morning. And I'm really sad that they're not here. And even still, like, we trust that God is doing something and that he's at work and he has a bigger picture. Um, And so, yeah, baptism doesn't prevent pain or suffering or sickness um, or hardship. Um, But this is uh, still—I'm excited to do this with you guys and before you guys— And so, yeah, to declare that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, um, and I want to follow him. Kristen um, has decided to receive Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. And uh, do you promise to follow and trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior all the days of your life? Yeah. Okay. Uh, in going into the water, you're identifying yourself with the death of Jesus Christ. Coming out of the water, you're identifying yourself with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so will you be? at the end of this day, or the end of time, um, be resurrected with him. So, Kristen, um, I now baptize you. You can put your... Yep. yep. <laughs> I baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He wants to say something. This is Avery Jackson's mom and dad, Matt and Randy, and his sister. Or something. <laughs> She's over there. She's just pointing. And grandparents, I'm sure, are here too. Welcome, welcome. So this is Avery Jackson. Avery, what do you want? Uh, you want to say anything so, before you get in the water? 
Um, I went to a place called Hilltop Christian Camp, and I learned a lot about Jesus there, and it was also really fun, and that made me want to get closer to Jesus and get baptized. So, uh, Avery Jackson, uh, again, you already told us, but tell us again, why do you want to get baptized? Um, because I want to follow Jesus. Very good. So, uh, Avery Jackson, um, based on the fact that you've professed and you've proclaimed that you want to follow Jesus, and just like Jess said all the days of your life, I baptize you. That's your house. I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. May he who began a good work in you carry on to But I always say this when you baptism, if anybody here decides they want to get baptized, we can do it at the end of the service, and we have extra towels. I'm, I'm, I'm dead serious about that, but I'm not trying to pressure anybody. But um, if, you, if you're interested in that, talk to somebody, and we'll figure it out at the end of the service, all right? So, John, stand up again. We're going to sing one more song. I think you'll like this hymn. All right, I want you to turn your attention back up here. Uh, to those of your guests here, our service usually the last two to three hours. Uh, just kidding. No, I, I'm, I'm, I pay attention to time, so um, I understand there's a limit to all of our listening, but uh, we're going to look at God's Word today. So let me pray, and then we'll look into God's Word. So, uh, Jesus, we say often, maybe every week, that we believe in the Holy Spirit, and we believe that uh, He is the one behind scripture he is the one who's in our hearts and apart from his work in each one of us uh, the bible is simply an academic document of black words on a page but if he's active and we're receptive um, these are the words of life to us that bring us healing and hope and uh, awareness of your power in our lives so holy spirit would you speak to each one of us show us things Tell things to us. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Let me ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Question of the day is this. Does God have an anger problem? Um, does God have an anger problem? And, and yes, we laugh and you can chuckle, but when you look at Scripture, it's like we've been looking at the life of Moses, mainly the golden calf incident, and they're going out to, from the Egypt to the promised land. Well... Moses says three times the Lord's angry with me. Once he tells the people he's angry with you, then he was angry with Aaron. In the book of Kings and Chronicles, God's angry with Solomon. He's angry with Israel. He's angry with Amaziah. He's angry with Judah. He's angry, he's angry, he's angry. Does God have an anger problem? Do we like that part of God? Or maybe we have misunderstood that part of God. Because words like anger and wrath, usually, if you're human, even if you're a follower of Jesus, it kind of puts you back a little bit. Like, whoa. Because we think anger and wrath is like flying off the cuff and things like that. So we have these. And then we think, well, Jesus is different. All right? God of the Old Testament, God of the New. But then read about Jesus. There was one time he was getting ready to heal a man's hand, and the Pharisees were being hypocrites about it. And it said Jesus was angry at them. 
when Jesus cleared the temple, he was zealous. And you have to believe there was anger going on. Not out of control anger. And then in the book of Revelation, one of the things, one of the prayers of people who are caught up in destruction, they say, save us from the wrath of the Lamb. So Jesus gets angry. The Bible tells us he's the exact representation of God. So whenever God was angry in the Old Testament, then so was Jesus. So what do we do with that? So what do we do with that part of, part of God's being? And we're going to look at some passage today in the book of Exodus. But here's my main question today. What if, understood correctly, God's anger has our joy, our peace, and our freedom as his final goal? What if that's what it is? What if his anger has our joy, our peace, and our freedom as its final goal? And we're going to re-understand the kind of anger here in a second, but what if that's the case? And what if, as scripture we look at today, and we read another one to start the service in the psalm, what if God is slow to anger? And what does that mean? What does it mean that God is slow to anger? Because we don't, we don't want a, a God who's flying off the handle. So what does that mean? So I've been doing a series number of weeks now called want more and the whole idea is even based on paul's uh, statement in philippians i want to know christ more i want more of my relationship with god i'm guessing many of you here are followers of jesus and so the way i say it and i'm not saying this mockingly but we all have our ticket to heaven box checked but the life of following jesus is way more than that it's more and do you want more or are you okay with just living out life holding on to your ticket and you just you know try to be a good person in the meantime and the, the one of the one of the analogies i've used is there's a, a writer i love his name is aw tozer he was a pastor in the 40s and 50s he talks about i'll say it this way if if 10 is i want to know christ like paul did it was in, i want to know christ intensely and most of us aren't 10s but we may you may be a one or a two like yeah, i'd like to know god more or three but then what Tozer says in his, one of his books is, okay, if you're like, if you say, I want to want to want to know God more, maybe that's all you tell him. God, I want to want to want to know you more. And maybe he can turn that into a, God, I, I want to want to know you more. Maybe he can take that prayer and turn it into, God, I, I want to know you more. But offer God wherever you are. Because his whole design for us is to get to know him better. Jesus even said he wants to reveal himself to us, like in a relationship, like a friendship, like a marriage. So wanting more is, I want more of my life with God. I want to, I want to know him better. I want to know Jesus better. So, so we've been doing that. It was kind of a spinoff of a series I started before Christmas on, on revival. And uh, I'll just say this. I'll add this one more time. There was a some of you may know about this, but Asbury College, actually it's Asbury University, just this last few weeks, they had what people are calling a revival. You might think, wait a minute, what's... Because you think about revival, like maybe old-fashioned revival services, but it's kind of a spontaneous, unplanned... Um, students started worshiping, filling 1,500-seat uh, chapel, worship kind of nonstop, had scripture read, people confessed sin... And it went on and on, went on for over two weeks. And it was like, uh, I even read Fox wanted to come down and do a segment on it. And the people at Asbury said, this is not a uh, 
media event. So we respectfully say don't come because this is a work of God. It's not a, it's, we don't need publicity. But it was a, my wife and uh, one of my daughters went down on Monday because they have services. And you might think this is all about college students and energy and maybe so, but the Bible says that generations will praise God. So my wife and daughter go down on Monday, spontaneously. My daughter had to wait five hours to get in the building. They only let people under 25 in the building. Anyway, but uh, so they're singing and worshiping, and I'll just say this. I know it's God, and here's how I know it's God. My, I, when I'm in a worship environment, I can go like 20 minutes and I'm done. You know what I'm talking about? You sing, and like, I'm done singing. Let's sit down, get on, be done. My wife's limit is about 15. And then she'll look at me like, ah, we gotta, are we done? I mean, or she goes to the bathroom or whatever. Right? And you know what I mean. You're all those. She was there, my, and with my daughter, 7 p.m. They left at 11.30, and they wanted to stay longer. So I know if my wife is like, I didn't want to leave. It wasn't because emotional energy. My wife's not affected by that as much. It was because she just said she sensed, they all sensed the spirit of Jesus was there. So in that sense, revival, I'll define revival as when the glory of God passes by at a certain time, a certain place. And maybe it's individually it can happen, but there's times in history where it's happened at a certain time, a certain place. And we're talking about that because part of the passage they were looking at was when Moses told God, I want to see your glory. I want to see more than just my head being filled with doctrine. I want to experience you. So we're doing a... So Exodus 34, we've been doing Exodus the time where they, they were... I always put Egypt over here. They were in Egypt. They were slaves. They were mistreated. God, through Moses, rescues them. They're set free because of God sending plagues and Pharaoh kindly, finally relents. They're on their way. We don't know how many, hundreds of thousands of people. On their way to modern-day Israel, the promised land, going through the wilderness, have to cross the Red Sea. You might know the story, even if you're not a church person. Pharaoh's army tries to follow them because they want to catch them back to get slaves. The sea swallows them up. So the, these people had seen God do great things. And then you know, part of the story is this golden calf where all of a sudden they put up this idol that represents an idol is anything you want more than God. And in their case, like in most cases, it had to do with money, sex, and power and control of their lives. God gets really upset, angry, the Bible tells us. He wasn't angry because I can't believe they're doing to me. It wasn't, it was angry. The people mourn, they repent. And then God says, okay, Moses, you go into the promised land, but I'm not going with you. I'll send an angel, but I'm not going with you because I'll destroy the people. And maybe I'm misinterpreting God's tone of voice. We don't know what. But Moses said, God, you have to go with us. We, we won't go unless you go with us. And then that's when Moses, and they, Moses had this conversation with God. And then Moses said, okay, God, I have one more thing. Ask you, show me your glory. Show me your glory. It's a pretty bold ask of God. Because show me your glory is, I want to see, I want to experience you in all who you are, God. I, I want to feel you, experience you. The glory of somebody in Scripture is always somebody's solid character, power, goodness, all those things. I mean, we sing in fight songs for the glory of old IU because we want IU to look good. When Moses said, show me your glory, he said, God, I want to see you in all of your goodness. It's a pretty bold ask. Show me your glory. And then so God says, okay, I will. I'll let you see me. And I'll say this too. Moses 
had this experience. Other people in Scripture had an experience like this. They were human, so were we. So it's not wrong for any of us to ask God, I want to see your glory. Now, he doesn't have to answer it. He doesn't, we can't demand. But any one of us would love to have an experience with God where something inside of us knows the invisible world has invaded our lives and we realize there's, God is real. Because we, we have it in our heads. I know, you know, about God, Jesus, sins, cross. Have it in our head, but, but sometimes we just need, we want to experience God. It's just like I might know my wife loves me, but if she never touches me, then I, then I start wondering, right? So, so my glory is maybe asking God to touch you. So God, Moses asked for that. So God says, okay, I'll, I'll do this. But you can't see my front side. We don't understand all this, how this looks like and means. But he said, I'll put you in a rock, cleft a rock, and I'll walk by, and then you'll see my backside. But you can't see all of me because if you see me completely, you'll die. Because his, God's glory is so, I mean, think of, uh, you know, Think of Wizard of Oz or think of the Raiders of the Lost Ark when they open up the thing and all of a sudden they're destroyed by the power. Made up story, of course. They're destroyed by the power of God. So then he, this is what, so God says, okay, I will. I'm going to pass by you. And this is how he says it. God says, I'm going to pass by you in all my goodness. I will show you my goodness. And, he, and then he passes by. And this is from Exodus chapter 34. Go to the next right. This is what, it says God starts to pass by and God calls out. This is God speaking. So again, I have no idea how Hollywood even do this. Hollywood would do this scene. But if we believe the Bible, we believe it really happened, right? So God passes by and it says he says his own name because his name is who he is. That's his identity. He says, Yahweh the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, overflowing with loyal love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity, rebellion, and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even children of the third and fourth generation. That latter part we'll deal with in a few weeks. Because um, it's kind of challenging there too, but the first part is what I want to look at, is when Jesus, the God says, I'm compassionate. This is it right here. Actually, you can't see the middle because the lighting is... Yahweh the Lord, I'm compassionate and gracious, slow to anger. That's what we're looking at today, slow to anger. Last week we looked at compassionate and gracious, overflowing with loyal love and faithfulness. So this is, when you ask God who he is, this is what he says. This is how he introduces himself. We have have ways we introduce ourselves to people. This is who God says, this is who I am. And this, or a version of this, appears many times in the Old Testament. It's in the book of Numbers, book of Nehemiah. Psalms, it shows up. Proverbs, it shows up. In the, because all of them would go back to this. And they'll say, God, you are compassionate and merciful. You're slow to anger. You're full of loyal love. Steadfast love is what some versions would say. Loyal love and faithfulness. This is who God is. Now, if you're like me, there's times where we like, I know you maybe can't see the slow to anger because of the wrong color, you know, too dark, but some of you might, some of the times we might be happy if we just took that out altogether, right? Can't God just be compassionate, gracious, full of love and faithfulness? Why do we have to put the anger thing in there? But let's just talk about anger for a second. Anger is the emotion you feel when something you want gets blocked. All right? I want to get to the store faster. Somebody's driving in front of me incredibly slow. All right? They're blocking what I want. I get angry. Maybe you don't. I do. All right? Or I want 
my kids do obey me. They're older now, but when they were kids, I want them to obey me. They don't obey me. I get angry. Legitimate. What I do with the angers could be illegitimate. But anger is the emotion you feel when something you want gets blocked. All right? I, I teach a class. I teach a couple classes at IU. So I want them to learn. I want them to turn in their assignments. So I think that's, I designed them to help them learn. If they don't do that, or if they're cheating, I get angry. Understandably. Because they're blocking what I want for them. Same thing with God. When God gets angry, what is God, what's God's goal for us? He wants us to be full of his life and his power, full of joy, supernatural, full of peace, supernatural, full of gen- generosity, mercy, kindness, all those things. He wants us to be fully alive with the Holy Spirit in us. That's his goal for us. So whenever that goal gets blocked, God's angry. He's not angry for himself. Oh, you hurt my feelings. He's angry because he had a design for us that he wants to be full of life and joy and peace. And when we reject, like, I don't, I don't, want to, I don't like your plan, God. I got my own plan for peace and joy and life and generosity, but I don't want your plan. So we understand that, right? If we understand that anger is a legitimate emotion. If God had no anger, we might question him. Like, for example, I, the years ago I was somewhere in a public bathroom and I saw a dad verbally berating his young son. Like, wasn't physical, verbally. And I, if you had been there too, you, I got angry. Well, was my anger unjustified? No, it was legitimate. You would say something's wrong with me if I wasn't angry. If I was like, oh, well... No, because anger, is the, especially in this case, is also emotion we feel when something unjust is happening. Because we have this sense of that's not the way the world's supposed to be. Or if, if, you're, if you find out somebody in your neighborhood, there's domestic abuse going on, and everybody in the neighborhood knows it, but nobody does anything, then I think you'd all say that's a really unhealthy neighborhood because somebody should be angry enough to do something to protect them. So let's just make sure we understand that if, when God's angry, he's angry because what he wants for us is not going to happen because we've resisted him. It's not, he's not flying off the handle. He's not pouting. I mean, we have our own experiences of anger in those kind of dysfunctional ways where it's pouting or controlling or just fl- flying off the handle. That's not God. He's angry because in this case, in this story, the people of Israel were rejecting his way for peace, joy, life, happiness, fullness, and decided they figured it out on their own. So, they, so God gets angry. And what's, this is interesting. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for anger, hot nose. It comes from that because it, when you think about when you get angry, what do you, you typically, you, you snort and you're like a horse. <laughs> right? So in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for anger God being angry or God being slow to anger, it's, he's slow to get a hot nose. Right? And in the Proverbs, it talks about a wise man has, this is how it says in the Hebrew, a long nose. Long fuse, long nose though. I just think it's kind of funny. I don't know. But so God has a long nose. He's slow to get angry. And his slow to get anger is because he's giving us opportunity to turn around from our silly, selfish ways that we think we can make life work out for us. So God, 
It's an, it's an emotion God feels when he sees his humans ruining his world. That's the emotion God feels when he sees people ruining his world. Because his world, he had an idea for what it was going to be. Shalom is the Hebrew word. Peace, joy, complete peace in life for everybody. Not fake peace, not plastic peace, not forced peace, not religious peace, but genuine peace that every single one of us, we've had whispers of that in our soul and we know what it's like and we would long for having that all the time. That's what God wants. So it's, so that's, and he's, he will not allow us, he will not allow us to continue to walk in ways of self-destruction. I'm grateful for the times in my life where God did not allow me to walk in self-destruction. Continue that path. So then you say, okay, when, when, if he's slow to anger, why, why can't he just be no anger? But again, if he shows no anger, then you'd say he doesn't care. Right? I mean, one of the analogies I use, and I'm sure the analogy breaks down, but I, I've said, I described before, we had a home once, we had a backyard with a fence in it, and four kids and they were younger and let's say i'm inviting other kids over anybody can come to this newsbaum backyard party we're going to have food it's going to be fun all kinds of stuff just a great environment anybody can come and my kids might say even that guy down there, yeah he can come too i know you don't like him he can come too well i want i'm doing everything i can to preserve and to build this environment of joy and peace some neighborhood kid comes and he's welcome to be there but he starts he stands outside the fence and he starts throwing rocks at kids in the party. And I'm just like, hey, dude, you, know, you can come on in. I want you to enjoy this, but don't, don't, don't do that. He sneers at me. He mocks me. Okay, I'm, I'm a little bit ticked, angry, right? He comes back, and he has bigger rocks. I'm saying, dude, don't, don't do that. Come on in. Enjoy this. No. Then he comes back with a gun. Should I get angry? If I didn't, you would say, you don't love the kids who are there. Of course I'm getting angry. I will stop him. But I've given him multiple chances. I might even give him another chance before I stop him. But if I didn't do that, you would say, you don't love the people in here. Because you're not stopping that. All right. So you think about God's anger that way. His anger is designed to... Put at bay anything that's going to keep us from being full of peace, joy, love, and supernatural kind of life in this world. So when God says he's slow to anger, he said he even gave, he gave Pharaoh ten chances, ten plagues. God gives us all kinds of opportunity. He's patient. So when God says he's slow to anger, I want that. I don't want a God who's quick to anger. I don't want a God who has no anger. That's Santa Claus, Right? I want a God who, will, who, who wants to protect me, not from other people, even from myself. So he's slow to anger. He said, I'm, I'm, I've got a lot. And then even in the, in the Old Testament, there are times where some of God's prophets and Moses, they had to remind God when God's like, I want to destroy these people. Moses is like, don't, don't forget, God, you, you're slow to anger. Not that God needed to be reminded about his personality or character, but other times in the Prophets will say that, and it's like they're reminding God, that's who you are. Yeah, you're absolutely full of compassion, gracious, and you take delight in us. You, loyal, you love us beyond measure with faithfulness. And those things all kind of encompass 
but you're also slow to anger. You give me opportunity to turn around. That, that's a God I can hang with, right? Not just hang with, I want to follow them. I don't want somebody who has no anger. I don't want somebody that just flies off the handle anger. That's scary, right? So there's a New Testament. I want to skip the New Testament again because we always, not always, often want to separate the God from the old and the new. But in the New Testament, Romans chapter 1 and 2, because we're still in this slow to anger, right? Romans, Apostle Paul wrote it. This is post the resurrection of Jesus. So this is the Christian life as we know it, all right? And Romans tells us that God shows his anger. It actually says that. God shows his anger. But he also shows his patience. Actually, the the pastor of Scripture says, but God shows his anger from heaven. This is Romans chapter 118. God shows his anger from heaven. It's like, ooh. I don't know. And then they said if people continue to persist in resisting him, this is a phrase that shows up in the Bible multiple times. It says God just gives them over. He doesn't give up on them. He's like, if that's the life you want, go. And you will suffer the consequences because that's not how life works. God's not saying, I'm going to lightning bolt you. But even with Pharaoh, God gave Pharaoh all these chances. Pharaoh kept resisting him. And so God, it's, the Bible says in the book of Exodus, God, or Genesis, Exodus, God gave Pharaoh over. In other words, he's gonna, there's a point in which God's going to say, okay, do it your way. We don't want a God that's controlling us, right? So if I want to do it my way, if God controls me, I don't like that. So, but there's a point where God's going to say, okay, I, I want you back. I want you to have this kind of peace, love, and joy. But do it your way. That's another way to say God gave them over. So the book of Romans Tells us God chose his anger from heaven, and then they said the people decided not to honor God, respect him, listen to him, obey him, reject him. I can live life better my way. And the Bible says so God gave them over. And it's not like God's giving up. He's just like, they need to walk in this, they need to walk in the consequences of their own actions. I've given them all kinds of opportunities. They're not going to keep resisting me. And then, Romans 1 actually says, God gives them over and they do everything their hearts desire. Talks about sexual morality, specifically talks about homosexual practice. Talks about wickedness, greed, quarreling, deception, uh, malicious behavior, gossip, haters of God, backstabbers, people that are proud. He's like, okay, if that's what you want to live, you can choose that life. And then, this, I, I love this about how Paul wrote Romans. And then, so he lists all these sins that we would say, those are awful, right? And then Paul in Romans chapter 2 says, don't judge those sins because you're just like it. It's like, what you don't like, what you point out in other people, you have some of those same issues in your life, same golden calves in your life that are you think is the right way to find happiness and joy, but you're not going to do it God's way. You just have a more religious way to do it. But Paul's like, you're the same. I'm the same, right? And then he says, because he says, you, you may think you can condemn such people 
but you're just as bad and you have no excuse. I'm just like, Paul, lighten up, man. But it's true, right? Then he says this, and I put these three questions. These are three questions that Paul asks in Romans 2, 4, after he says all this. Again, topic of the day is slow to anger. He says, don't you see how kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Don't you see that? Does this mean nothing to you? You you might point on all these people you know that are sexually, sexually immoral, they're greedy, they're proud, all those things. You might have a list of people. I might have a list of people that are in those categories, but Paul's like, maybe you too. This side of heaven, none of us are perfect. Does this mean nothing to you? It means nothing, that God is so kind and tolerant and patient. So putting those with a slow to anger God is kind of like, he's kind, tolerant, and patient. He's slow to anger. That's what slow to anger means. He's kind. He's tolerant. He's patient. Multiple, multiple choices. He says, can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? It's not soft. God's not soft. But kindness without a limit, without, is, is kind of wishy-washy. It's like, I'll know another example because I've, I know some of the people that teach classes and stuff like that, but it's, so I have, I have due dates in my classes that I use, right? They're due at a certain time. Invariably, almost like always, there'll be one or two students say, I need some more time on this assignment. This isn't sin. They just want more time. Okay. Two days later, I need some more time on this assignment. Okay. I mean, usually, if I know their story, I'm kind of giving them some extra space, right? But there's been some that I can tell, they're not telling me the truth. Their grandma died, died last week. She can't die again this week. All right, or whatever. You know what I mean? They have all these excuses. And then I start getting suspicious. And then I start getting, well, then it, by the end of the semester, they've turned nothing in. But they have all these reasons, but I don't believe them. And I've actually found out some of them weren't true. Somebody might say, well, don't get angry at them. No, I, I, I'm angry because they're not having the opportunity to learn what they need to learn in the class. Oh, just be kind. Well, if I was kind to them and said, A, you did nothing, A, I think the rest of the class, the rest of you would be like, well, we turned all this stuff in. That's not kindness. That's like wrong. All right. But I can give all kinds of extra time. And I met with students one on one. I didn't actually have a student that didn't turn anything in. The rest of it, I kind of made that part up. But I'm just make for the point. You, you can be kind and extend things, give people extra time. God has a long nose. There's a point in which God's like, Okay, go your own way. And again, what Paul says here is, don't you see that God's kindness wants to turn you around? I mean, I've shared this church multiple times, but before I got married, when I was in college, and even in seminary, believe it or not, I struggled with pornography, right? And I kept thinking, God hates me. God hates me. God hates me. God hates me. He's angry. He's angry. He's angry. And I assumed, understandably so, what I thought was he's going to whack me. Like whack-a-mole. He's going to whack me, right? And then there's a point where I kind of was ready just to, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't resisting him. I just didn't. I, and then God orchestrated some things that rescued me. And I'm so glad he was patient with me. 
I'm so glad he didn't say, yeah, I'm so glad, he, so glad he didn't give me over and say, okay, indulge in that and see what that brings you, peace and joy. I'm so glad it meant something to me at that point. I'm so glad that his kindness and tolerance made me realize how good he is. This is what God said. This is my goodness passing before you. His kindness and tolerance toward me was good. Every, I'm assuming God probably was angry, but he was slow to get angry to the point where he gave me over, and I'm so glad he didn't. Right? So you, we all have issues. I mean, we have, maybe it's not that kind of issue, but sometimes we struggle with small ways of dishonesty where we tweak the truth a certain way, or we maybe have been doing things or financially or whatever, and we tweak things, or we have, we're argumentative, and we don't want to acknowledge that we're falling in that list of sins that Paul talks about. And in that sense, we take advantage of the slow to anger God. But he's slow to angry. So whatever you might be wrestling with, don't focus on how God must be angry at you. Focus on how patient he is. And that patience and his kindness can eventually turn you and set you free. He doesn't set you free by getting angry at you. He sets you free by giving you patience and kindness. And he's tolerant with you to a point. So finish with this. There's a passage in uh, uh, John chapter 3. And this is the passage where John 3, 16, for God loved the world, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. But this is what Jesus says to uh, Nicodemus. He says, anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the Son will never experience God's eternal life. So he's like, okay, you resist God like the children of Israel did? Like Pharaoh did, like men and women throughout the Bible, women throughout history, and maybe you and me in our lives, you resist God. You're not walking toward the kind of eternal life God wants to give you. Anyone who doesn't have been sin will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. So again, we think angry judgment there, it's he's letting you go your own way if you choose not to obey. He's letting you go in your way. He, he wants this for you, peace, joy, fulfillment, mercy, kindness. He wants that in abundance in your life, supernaturally. But if you choose not, he won't intervene. He will to a point. He will, way more than any human will be patient with you. He will. But Jesus said that, you know, so, but God's desire for you is eternal life. And I don't simply mean life after we die in heaven. That's, yes, but Jesus talks about joy, peace, and those things now. So, why don't you close your eyes? We're going to pray and then we're going to take communion in a second. But, um, God, I, I, I'm, I'm assuming every single one of us, including me, needs to be reminded that you are slow to anger, that you are patient with us, um, you don't fly off the handle. Um, there's an old, old sermon from centuries ago called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. That gets twisted in our minds and think that's all you are. You're an angry God that wants to whoop us. But that's not who you are. You are, as you told Moses, you're compassionate, you're gracious. You find delight in us. You're slow to anger. You're full of loyal love toward us. You overflow with it, and you're faithful to us. There is no one else like you, God. There is no one else like Jesus. We follow you because that's who you are. And we love you. And God, we want to see, uh, 
We want to see your patience unleashed in our lives, but we also want to return back to you and give up the silly ways we're trying to find peace and joy that won't mean anything. So we love you, Jesus. We're grateful most of all, Jesus, because you broke uh, the bound, the, the chains of slavery and sin by what you did on the cross. You willingly walked into being tortured and died and then God rose you again. And the Bible tells in the book of Hebrews, you open up this whole new and living way for us to experience God. We can now make an experience to slow to anger God in a way we've never understood before. So thank you, Jesus. And we take this, this bread and this cup in gratitude to you for helping us see you, God, experience you, Jesus, in a whole different way. And we love you. And we ask this all in your name. Amen.